We are going to talk about a topic today, um, and when we do, I can pretty much guarantee that all of you are going to sit up straight and listen. Uh, you're going to sit up straighter than you are now, probably, because I've noticed when I talk about this topic, that is inherently what happened. People sit up. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about posture. <laughs> See what I did there? Because here's what happened. Literally, just at the mention of the word, I saw some of you go like this. You breathe in, shoulders back, chest out. This is what posture does. Okay, did you know that posture actually has multiple benefits. Like correct posture has multiple benefits. Poor posture has multiple uh, bad side effects. If you, a good posture is, is, is better for overall health, but get this. Good posture, if you, if, you, if you sit up straight, shoulders back, chest out, all that stuff, it actually, it's just crazy. You actually have more positive memories come to mind and more positive thoughts come to mind. Good posture leads to a more positive attitude. Isn't that interesting? It also does this. Uh, good posture makes you feel more powerful, right? Good posture makes you more productive. There's even research, this, this I thought was crazy. There's even research that good posture actually changes your hormones level, hormone level. Isn't that interesting? See, all of you are sitting up. Here's, here's, here's what has been shown time and time again, that your posture really does affect everything. Now, here's why I'm gonna switch things up on you a little bit, because this isn't just true about physical posture. It's also true about the posture of our souls, the posture of our spirits. And here's why this is important. Because today, we're gonna talk about something that would, has a deep effect on your spiritual posture. It has a deep effect. Uh, your, your spiritual posture has a deep effect on this because the topic that we're really gonna talk about today, uh, for some reason, we feel like as the church, when I say we, I mean, I mean people who have said yes to Jesus, uh, people at fellowship, uh, some people at fellowship, but, 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 but when I say church, I mean like the church in general, for some reason, the church in general feels like when we're talking about the topic that we're going to talk about today, our posture has to be one of either condemnation or approval. We feel like that's the posture we have to take. Either we condemn or we approve. And we feel like our answer has to be one or the other. But I think, and I think Scripture is going to back me up on this, or I'm going to back it up, however that works, there is a better posture for us than condemnation or approval with the topic that we're really going to talk about today. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a Christian, or if you're here today and you're part of the gay community, I welcome you here. And I hope that you experience a warm, welcoming environment. And here's what I ask you to do. This sermon that we're going to talk about today is kind of like a family meeting. Uh, have you ever been in a family where, where dad or mom or whoever's in charge kind of calls a family meeting in the living room and you talk about what needs to be talked about? That's what we're doing today. And we're talking about something that is for uh, those of us who have said yes to Jesus. And so if you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you're a, a guest from the gay community, here's what I need you to do. And here's what I invite you to do. I invite you to listen to this family meeting. And I want you to consider something. If the church, not just fellowship, but all the churches you see coming down the street, if the church actually did 
what I'm gonna ask us to do, would it have an impact on your life? That's what I ask you to consider. And when I say consider it, I mean come up and tell me afterwards. Yes or no? Like I really want your feedback and I invite that. Now, just so you know, we're not gonna cover every aspect of this, of this topic. You might actually leave this sermon with more questions than you came into. That's okay. I acknowledge that. I know that. I'll be glad to talk and work through some of that with you if you would like, but I just want you to know that up front because what we're gonna do today is we're gonna hit one scenario of this topic because we're talking today about what the Bible says about homosexuality. And really, we're gonna cover, uh, we're gonna do like a quick Bible survey of what the Bible says about homosexuality. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna see how do you respond. So, so church, those of you who have said yes to Jesus, how do you respond when you hear these two words? How do you respond when you hear I'm gay? When somebody in your life comes to you and says, I'm gay, how do you respond? Because that's where we're gonna focus in on, okay? And so just to kind of get a feel for where everybody is, how many of you have heard, not those words, but the other words, the, the I am gay, how many of you have heard I'm gay from someone in your life? Yes, all of us have, almost all of us have. It's a big deal, right? And how you respond in that moment is a big deal. Because what we're seeing as we go through this series called Can I Say That is, is, is we're looking at a common thought that each of us has. And we're taking that thought and running it through the grid of Scripture. And, and oftentimes when we do that, we see that there is this scandalous statement that God has for us. It's a scandalous statement that's biblically true. And so the thought that I want us to run through Scripture today is the thought that most of us have when we hear the words, I'm gay. When somebody in your life says, I'm gay, a lot of times this is our thought. Uh, we don't know how to respond because our posture is out of alignment. We feel like we've got to condemn or we feel like we've got to approve or, or, or we don't even know how to respond. Maybe it's, it's we just respond with shock or we respond with just this complete blankness. Well, today, what I hope that we walk away with is we walk away with a different posture of how to respond to this very simple and very honest statement that every one of us in this room have heard before. How do we as the church respond when someone says, I'm gay? Now, we are gonna start off doing a quick biblical survey of what scripture says about homosexuality. And if you are part of the gay community or you're a guest today, just know this first part of the message is gonna feel a little tense, right? Because some of the verses that we're gonna look at today um, in the gay community are called clobber verses. And here's why. And y'all, we have got to own this as a church. Because when somebody has said, I'm gay, somebody in the church has used these verses to clobber them over the head. That's why they're called clobber verses. 
But what I hope you hear today is not the voice of condemnation in these, in these verses. It is not even the voice of approval in these verses. What I want us to see is what does the Bible actually say about homosexuality and get us all on the same page. And then we can address how do we respond when somebody says, I'm gay. So let's look at the first uh, verse in, Exodus, in Leviticus 18.22. Now, Leviticus is in the Old Testament. If you want, you can uh, grab a Bible and open it up. We're going to hit through a lot of them. I have the page number there. Uh, you can also download the Bible app, and we're under events and under fellowship, and all these scriptures are there. Um, we are also going to have most of these up on the screen, so uh, you can see them up there if you don't want to uh, thumb around back and forth. We're going to land in John later, but... But here's what Leviticus 18 says. Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now this word abomination is a, uh, a word that means sin. That's, that's all it means. It means that it's sin. And it means a, a, a sin is doing something that God doesn't want us to do or not doing something that God does want us to do. That's all sin is. That's what sin is, the, the, the simplest definition. And in Leviticus, it says that when a man lies with a man as with a woman, it is considered a sin. All right? Now, here's what you're going to see as we go through these verses. When the Bible defines homosexuality, it does it as the physical act of a man having sex with a man or a woman having sex with a woman. It is always seen as a physical act of sex, all right? And this becomes important later on because you're gonna see it time and time again. So uh, one other verse from Leviticus, Leviticus 20, 13. So turn the page to page 79. And this time, the, the, the law of the Old Testament adds a punishment for homosexuality. And it says this, it says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Okay, we covered that in the last verse. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Okay, so, so, so I, I mentioned this just to show that in the law, it wasn't just considered a sin. There was also a punishment that came along with it. Now, this is going to become important when we go to the, to the New Testament, but just kind of keep that in mind. And, and what you see is this punishment is punishment by death. Now, keep in mind, this is not the only sin in the Old Testament that was punishable by death. There were multiple sins that were punishable by death. Kids, get this. If you are a disobedient child, parents, this is a freebie for you. If you are a disobedient child, you could, by Moses' law, I don't think this was ever done, but you could take a child out of the city gates and stone him or her, but let's be real. Right? There were lots of sin that were punishable by death. And I don't say this to diminish this one because you'll see where this becomes important later. I just want us to know this isn't the only sin that was punishable by death. Now the question is, this is what the Jewish mind, because uh, Jewish kids memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, like the ones that we saw. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right? They had these memorized. So the Jewish mind was clear, homosexuality is a sin. The question is, did that change when we go to the New Testament? 
right? In that 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament, did the Jewish mind of thinking change on this? Did, did God's mind change on this? Did the scriptures change on how they see, on how it sees homosexuality, the, the physical act of a man having sex with a man or a woman having sex with a woman? Let's look at Romans chapter one. We're gonna do verse uh, 21, it says this. It says, for although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so who are the they that that this book of Romans is talking about? Paul wrote the book of Romans and he he wrote this book to a church. Guess where it was located? Rome, right? If if you've studied Rome or even Greek Greek culture uh, during this time, you would know that archaeologists have found, man, the stuff we call pornography, they called living room decorations, right? It was a very sexualized culture. The Roman culture, sex was about power, and the Greek culture is about enlightenment. And there was sex everywhere. Like literally, archaeologists found this water pitcher right, that you would use at the kitchen table that had an explicit sex scene on it. Stuff that literally, if it popped up on our screen, we would have to click okay to go look at stuff like this. And it's what kids asked mom to pass the water with. That was the culture that this was written in. And so who is the they that Paul is talking about to, to, the, to this Roman church? It's, the, it's those people, it's people who do not know God. They have not yielded their life to God. And we're gonna see in a minute, there's something else about them. But they have not yielded their life to God. They have not said yes to Jesus. And look at what happens in this group of people that have not yielded their life to God. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, since they didn't know God and yield their life to God, they worshiped other things because all of us, no matter who you are, are created to worship. And you're gonna worship something. And what Paul is saying is that since they haven't said yes to Jesus, they haven't yielded their lives to God, they worshiped other things. And look at verse 24, it says, Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so there again we see what Paul is saying to this Roman church is that there's this group of people who have not yielded their life to God, who have pursued other worship, other things, that worship of other things has led them down paths that God has given them over to follow those paths. And those paths include this physical act of homosexuality, of women having sex with women and men having sex with men. And that part about due penalty is Paul's referencing to that Leviticus verse, Leviticus chapter 20, where there's a punishment of death. And here's how we know that. Look at verse 32. It says, though they know God's righteous decree 
that those who practice such things deserve to die. That's all he's saying is he's pointing back to that Levitical law and saying the punishment of this is death, just like it is for other things. And these people, they know that. They know that they practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so the people that God, that, that Paul is referring to here, somehow they know God's law. So I don't know if this is Jewish people who uh, have stepped away from the Jewish faith or if it's Gentiles that have been taught God's law, but they know what God's law says, but they are choosing not to follow God, not to, not to say yes to Jesus, not to worship God and pursuing another path, but in their heart they know what God's law says about this, but they're choosing a different life anyway. And here, we see that that's what the people that it's referred to. And so this passage about same-sex sex sex being punished by death is is where this is coming from. But keep in mind, it's still the physical act of same-sex sex. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 10 through 11, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. And so now, Paul to this church in Corinthians adds homosexuality to a list of other sins. And he says, such were some of you. But here it's still considered a sin. One more, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. It's on page 830 if you're keeping up with this. This is what it says. It says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, uh, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. How's everybody feeling? Right? What we see, no matter how you stack it, is this. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, consistently, same-sex sex is a sin. So homosexuality, men having sex with men, women having sex with women, is a sin. And so no matter how you stack it, it's not what God intends for his people, for those who have said yes to Jesus. But the question still remains. How do we respond when somebody says, I'm gay? Because remember, that's the lens that we're looking through. How do we respond when someone says, I'm gay? Okay, so church, are we all on the same page about what the Bible says about homosexuality? It is a physical act of same-sex sex that Scripture sees as sin, right? It's the physical act. Now, let me blow your mind for just a little bit. The word gay is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Right? Do you hear me on that? The word gay is not mentioned 
anywhere in the Bible. The word gay started being used in the late 1800s. It, it originally was used to describe people who are jolly and happy and jovial. And then in the late 1800s, it started being used to describe men who had same-sex attractions and sexual relationships with men and women who had same-sex attractions and sexual relationships with women. Since then, it has become this umbrella term that could include uh, lesbianism, it could include homosexuality, it could include uh, transgenderism, it it could include same-sex attraction. It is this balloon umbrella term That covers a whole wide range of things. And so when somebody says I'm gay, and church, we need to understand this. When somebody says I'm gay, you might think you know what they mean, but you might not know what they mean. Because if you think when someone says I'm gay, they mean what the Bible means about homosexuality, you might be right or you might be wrong. The fact of the matter is you don't know until you get to know them. And so our question, how do we respond when someone says, I'm gay? Do we condemn them as a sinner? Well, I think we have a better option. I think we have a better posture. And to look at this, we have to look at how Jesus responds in a similar situation. Jesus never addressed homosexuality. It doesn't mean that the church approves it. Jesus didn't address a whole lot of things. And I think the reason he didn't address it is because Scripture is very clear from Old Testament to New Testament. It wasn't something that he needed to address. And so what we need to do is, is there a time where a person is brought to Jesus where the punishment is the same as homosexuality, where the punishment is death, and there is? In John chapter 8, if you'll go ahead and turn there because we're going to camp out there for a little bit. In John chapter 8, a woman is brought to Jesus who was caught in the physical act of adultery. So she wasn't uh, in between men. Somehow they caught her having sex with either a married man or she was a married woman, but they caught her in the act of sex the physical act, and they brought her to Jesus. Now, what's interesting, the punishment for adultery is, guess what? Death. What's also interesting, just like homosexuality, it was punishable to all parties involved, but yet the Pharisees and scribes just bring the woman to Jesus because they're trying to set him up. They're trying to put him in the situation that oftentimes we feel like we're in, where we have to either condemn or approve. And they're testing his posture. And let's see what happens. So John chapter eight, verse two says this. It says, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. So this is Jesus coming to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. So that's how we know this is the physical act that they caught her in. Now the law, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And so adultery is one of those sins that's punishable by death. And like I said, they're supposed to bring the man and the woman there. 
And for some reason, they just brought the woman. But the law clearly states she is to be put to death. And so what they do is they put Jesus in the position of being judge and jury because they want to do this. Look at verse 6. It says, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Because you see, what they wanted to do is to test him. They put Jesus in this tough spot. Either he, either he condemns or he approves. Now, either he defends this woman and approves of her being caught in the act of adultery. Because here's what they're doing. If Jesus said yes, she would die at his feet. Like this crowd, this mob had stones ready to throw and kill this woman. And so either he defends her and approves of the sin, which makes him go against the scriptures, which by the way, he wrote, right? We gotta keep that in mind because he is God. So either he, can, either he approves and goes against his own word um, or he condemns her to death. And it kind of goes against his whole reputation of grace and forgiveness. And so he puts them, they put Jesus in this really tough spot where either move is a bad move. And honestly, when someone says I'm gay, it's real easy to feel like that's the spot we're in, Right? that we feel like either move is a bad move. Either we tell them that's okay, that's, a, that's not a good move, or we tell them that's not okay, and that may not be a good move, but we feel that same tension that Jesus is in. Well, let's look at his response, because here we see this better posture. In verse six, it says, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And so Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now here is this interesting thing. A lot of commentators believe that Jesus was writing the Ten Commandments in the sand when he was writing. That's, that's what he was doing with his finger, and he was just doing the Hebrew symbols for the Ten Commandments. And so, so some of the, the, the crowd could see that, and they could see him writing the Ten Commandments. And he stood up, and he said, listen, if you're without sin, throw the first stone at her. Now, what's interesting is he was the only one in that crowd without sin. Like, he could have picked up a rock and thrown it at her, and he would have been fully justified to do that. But he gives this better option by calling all sin, sin. And he says, let him who is without sin be the first. You see, sometimes I like to kind of imagine what it was like to be there. And I imagine what it was like to be in that crowd and to have a stone in my hand ready to throw it at this woman caught in adultery. And then in my mind, I just kind of look around and I wonder if there is a guy there with beads of sweat on his forehead because he still smelt of her perfume. And when Jesus said these words, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, it hit that crowd in a deep way. And you'll see why in just a minute because here's, here's what, as a church, we need to remember when somebody says I'm gay. 
We need to remember this moment. We need to remember that my sin is sin. Because that's what Jesus is telling this crowd who's ready to stone this woman with what the law says. He doesn't, he doesn't say that the law is wrong. He doesn't say that the charge against them is wrong. He's fine with that. What he says is if you are without sin, you cast the first stone. And he's asking them to consider their own sin. You see, in, in, in the back of our house, we've got this, um, probably the most ugly deck you've ever seen with, some, uh, with, with great views. And we love to sit on this back deck and we feel like we're taking life in our own hands when we do because um, it's a little crickety in spots. But one night or one afternoon, Stacy and I were sitting there and I noticed there was this little piece of, th- this is gonna get graphic. Of course, you may say, this, this is what you consider graphic. Um, there was this little piece of poop on the rail of the deck. Like, think like mouse poop, only bigger, right? And it's sitting, and, and we're sitting there and I noticed it and I was like, oh, there's mouse poop. And then Stacey and I get up and we look at it because that's what you do when there's poop in an unusual place is you inspect it, right? And so we're looking at it. I'm like, gosh, it's bigger. I bet it's a rat. Oh, I bet it's rat poop. And we start grossing out because there's a rat poop on our, on our deck, on the ledge of our deck. And then I make the, the, the startling revelation. We don't have rats around our house, but we've got chipmunks. Y'all, do you know what we did looking at that piece of poop? Oh, I bet it is chipmunk poop. And that poop became cute because it belonged to a chipmunk. Y'all, I realized what we had done. And I said, baby, it's still poop. It doesn't matter where it came from, and I flicked it off into the backyard. But we do that with our sin, don't we? Some sin is cute, and some sin is gross. And y'all, for too long, the church has made their sin gross and our sin cute. And it is time to stop. Because Jesus said, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. All sin is sin. There is no cute sin. It is all poop on a ledge. But see, here in this exchange, there's also something else that we have to pay attention to, and it's real easy to overlook. I've overlooked it for years. But when Jesus tells them to cast the first stone, he doesn't tell them to cast the first stone at her sin. He doesn't tell them to, to cast the first stone at her adultery. He says, cast the first stone at her. And what he does is he changes this from an issue, from a test about him and what he believes to a person sitting right in front of them. And so church, when someone says, I'm gay, we need to remember that we are looking at a person, not an issue. That is a person sitting in front of you who took something. They're telling you about what they believe in their innermost part of their soul and their minds. And they are putting that out there for you to respond to. That is not an issue. That is a person. And Jesus asked them to respond to her. 
And so you have this person in front of you when they say, I'm gay. And that person, no matter where they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look like, no matter what they're doing, that person was made in the image of God. And so we, as the church, get to treat them as a person, not an issue. And so what's our posture when someone says, I'm gay? It isn't condemnation. It isn't approval. It is connection. And when, per- when someone says, I'm gay, we connect with the person that's right in front of us. They are a person. They don't need our condemnation. They're most likely not even asking for our approval. But what we do get to give them is our connection. We get to treat them as a friend, not a project, a friend. And so how do you have this posture to be able to connect with them? Look at this in verse 8. It says, and once more he bent down and wrote in the ground. So he goes back to what he was writing, whether he's finishing the Ten Commandments or writing something else. But what's interesting is he must have been mumbling as he was doing it. He must have been speaking very quietly, which is a brilliant move, right? If you're a public speaker and you want people's attention, you know what you do? You lower your voice. And everybody leans forward to listen and so he's got this crowd around him with with stones in their hand and they're ready to stone her and he starts doing this you shall have no other gods before me you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and everybody is listening because look at what happens in verse 9 it says but when they heard it they went away one by one beginning with the older ones You see, they realized their sin. And I love that John puts in here that it started with the older ones because those who have been walking with the Lord the longest realize their sin is the deepest. And they realize that their gospel is the widest. And so they start dropping the stones. And so here's where we see our posture when someone says, I'm gay, because look at what happens. It says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Y'all, when someone says, I'm gay, this is the picture of where you want to leave them. Face to face with Jesus. That's what we desire to do. We want to leave them where, in a place where you'll see that all of her condemnation is gone, her accusers was gone, and she was left looking straight into the eyes of Jesus. And you see, church, that is our job. Our job is to connect with a person and connect that person to Jesus. Because let me tell you, the church didn't change your life. Jesus changed your life. The church can't save you. Jesus saves you. The church is, by God's grace, the expression of who Jesus is, but the church is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus, and our job is to connect with the person in front of them and then connect that person to Jesus. And so how do we get there? Now, this, this, this is where I started sweating first service. I'm gonna be honest. All right, because I've got something that I need us to, 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 to put into our heads. 
right? I don't want this to be tweeted. If anybody still uses Twitter, I don't know. Um, I, I don't want this uh, to get out there. This is something that you have listened to this sermon. And for those of you who are online, you're listening to this. And this is what the, your thought is besides the uh thought or besides the thought of condemnation or besides the thought of even approval, besides that blank thought, this is the thought that corrects your posture. And it's this, it's that sin is not okay, right? We're all in agreement with that, right? Sin in our life isn't okay. Sin in anybody's life isn't okay. Okay, but here's the thought that gets your posture aligned so that you can connect with the person in front of you and connect them to Jesus when they say, I'm gay. Sin is not okay, but gay can be okay. Now, church, look up there. Does that say gay is okay? No, it does not. Does it say gay is not okay? It does not. It says gay can be okay. Because remember, you don't know what they mean when they say I'm gay. And it is your job as a representative of Jesus to connect with them and then to connect them to the Jesus that you love. Because you see, when someone says I'm gay, you may think you know what they mean, but you don't. If a middle schooler comes to you, right, and they know that all their friends are talking about having crushes on people of the opposite sex, and they keep thinking, but... I'm attracted to people of the same sex. And they don't know what to do with that. And they know they can't talk to their parents. They certainly know they can't talk to their friends because their friends are gonna make fun of them. And you're the person that, that they know you go to church. They know that you're involved in church. They know that you're involved in, in youth ministry. And they look at you and they say, I'm gay. How do you respond? If a 28-year-old comes to you and has had a promiscuous life, and you know them, and you knew them in high school, and they were crazy then, and they're crazy now, and they come to you and they say, I'm gay, how do you respond? When your son or daughter comes to you and says, I'm gay, how do you respond? When your friend who is married for 20 years comes to you and says, I'm gay, how do you respond? Because in each one of those scenarios, it's different. And you can't assume that when they say, I'm gay, it's what the Bible defines as homosexuality. You see, gay can mean a person is struggling with same-sex attraction. It may mean they're not sexually active at all, or, or it could, you don't know. But what gives you that posture is, is, is remembering that even if they are, and the worst way that you could possibly think to define it, even if that's the person sitting in front of you, their sin in God's eyes is no different than your sin that you're bringing to the table. You need Jesus. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. Look at verse 10. Because look at what Jesus says to her. 
It says, and Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And see, church, condemnation never changed a soul. Salvation changes souls. And when someone meets Jesus face to face, eye to eye, he leads them to salvation. And this is what Jesus has done. How do I know? Because he did it for me and he's done it for you. When you went to Jesus and you had your truckload of sin that you came to him to, did he condemn you when you looked at him face to face? No. He welcomed you. Church, that's our posture. We take people to Jesus who welcomes them because he has taken away our sin and he has set us free from its power and penalty. And many of you in this room have said yes to that. And if you haven't said yes to that, trust me, there is a Jesus who will welcome you with open arms. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, he will welcome you with open arms. And all he longs is for you to come to him. Just like he did for me, just like he'll do for you. Look at what happens next, because this is important. She said, no one, Lord, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, he's not telling her, don't ever sin again, right? Like, don't ever do anything wrong. Go live a perfect life. He's saying, you've come to me. You have gotten salvation. Now, repent, And it means change. Repent just means change. And this is what repentance is. And so when someone says, I'm gay, do you tell them not to be gay anymore? Is that what repentance is? If someone comes to you and and they are what the Bible defines as homosexuality, as as a homosexual, do you tell them, okay, go be heterosexual? That's change. No, I'm I'm gonna tell you where this posture leads people, what repentance looks like. Because the repentance of homosexuality isn't heterosexuality. The repentance of homosexuality is holiness. And so when I've met with people that, that, that are struggling with same-sex attraction and, they're, and, and, and maybe they're even in homosexual relationships, my counsel to them isn't to be heterosexual. My counsel to them is to choose holiness. Now y'all, you need to know this because we have men and women in this church who would use the term gay to define themselves. They know they have same-sex attractions. Now, in the church world, they might use same-sex attracted or SSA, that's what that means. But in the outside world, gay is, is, is what they use because that makes sense. But let me tell you, what these people that would identify themselves as gay and identify themselves as Christian, let me tell you what they do and what repentance looks like. Because y'all, it is powerful and it is holy and it is full of hope. Because what they do to, to, to exercise their repentance and to choose holiness is they say, yes, I'm gay, but I'm choosing a life of celibacy to honor the Lord. Like y'all, that is deep. I couldn't do it. I doubt you could. And they do it not from a place of depression, not from a place of despair, but from a place of hope because that's what Jesus does. And so you may be sitting in your small group 
and a person says, I'm gay. I'm one of those people that Fred was talking about. Do you respond with condemnation? Do you respond with approval? Or do you respond with connection? What will you do when someone says, I'm gay? You spend time with them. You get to know them. You become a friend, remembering that your sin is no worse than their sin, and you connect that person to Jesus. In in, in church, at Fellowship, I have seen you do this time and time again, and I'm so proud of you because I've seen you create a space to where when a person connects to Jesus, you do not expect them to be perfect. Actually, what I love about this church is actually perfection is your red flag. When somebody looks like they have it all together, you go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll be your friend. I'll be here when it all crumbles down because it will. In church, when we do this, when we connect to the person, we connect that person to Jesus, we create an environment where we can all work out our own salvation. Where we can all struggle to walk in obedience and to walk in faith. And where we can look at each other and love each other through the good and bad and ugly. Church, this is what church looks like where people are encouraged to go and sin no more. And this is what I have seen you do time and time again. And so here's what I ask us to do as a church. Is to align with Jesus in this posture. That when someone says, I'm gay, we don't need to condemn. We don't need to approve. We need to connect. And the way we connect is by our own confession. And so what I want us to do is to spend just a little bit of time confessing your own sin. We're going to bow our heads. The worship team's going to come up here and play some music. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're just going to have a little bit of time. And I want to give you time to realize this talk isn't about them. This talk is about you. And about your relationship with Jesus. And this is your opportunity to bring your poop and put it on the ledge. Right? Let's pray.